We're going to be in 1 Corinthians and chapter 4. If you're using a device and your device is going to uh, distract you, then there's lots of church Bibles you can use them. Uh, we don't want to be distracted. If you can use your device without being distracted, then please let's gather together around God's Word in this passage in 1 Corinthians and chapter 4. Paul is a bit fed up. Comes out in the way he's writing. He's gotten to this fourth chapter and he's still on the same subject. And what he's upset by is this Corinthian church, this youngish church, but at the same time a church that should be maturing. This church that's over four years old, that should be growing and is not. And he's fed up. Because these people are following their own wisdom. They're following the celebrity pastors. And he's seen how this can split churches. And he doesn't want to see God's church split. He doesn't want to see God's glory and honor robbed. And so as he comes into this fourth chapter, as a real pastor, he puts his finger right on the problem. As we go through this chapter, I'm going to be taking those two headings that were in the notice on the flyer, as it were, uh, real pastors are, and uh, the other side of it was bad sheep are. So real pastors are, and bad sheep are. And we'll be bouncing between those two points as we go through uh, this passage together this morning. And so under that first heading, real pastors are, we have our first sub-point. Real pastors are servants of Christ. It's there in that first verse. This is how Paul should be regarded. This is how Apollo should be regarded as servants of Christ. Now that the word servant there comes from a, a particular piece of imagery. And it's the exact same word that was used for those who were serving as slaves on the big ships. Now these ships didn't have motors, these ships didn't have sails, these ships were powered by men rowing. And they had a top deck of rowers, and that was the better deck to be on, and the under deck of rowers was the worst place to be. They were doing the hard work, they were doing the rowing, they were under the authority of others, and that's the exact word that Paul is using here to describe himself. You see, a real pastor is under the authority of Jesus. And he should be marked as one who is working hard. Working hard for Christ. He's not someone to be proclaiming himself and aggrandizing his ministry. Real pastors are servants of Christ. And then as Paul carries on in this first verse, into the second verse, he says that real pastors are stewards of the mysteries of God. Stewards of the mysteries of God. And again, this is a word that is carefully chosen by uh, Paul, and all his words are carefully chosen, but steward is here. And, and steward is a person who is very much in charge of a house. They, they often were the ones that had the keys to be able to lock and unlock the house. 
They often had the keys to the, the safe or the treasury where the riches of the house were kept. They were in control of everything, but they were only a steward. They never owned the property. And so they had the responsibility, the charge of it, but not the owner. And this is what Paul is saying. You see, a real preacher is someone who is not the owner but he has a responsibility towards the mysteries of God. Now before, in the earlier part of this passage, this book, we, we heard this mysteries of God, and the mysteries of God is basically the gospel, the good news. And the good news is a mystery because Jesus left heaven to come to this world to die on the cross for his people. God became man, and he was fully man and fully God. And how do we understand that? That is a mystery. It's the mystery of the gospel. And Paul could not say what he liked. Paul could only preach Christ and Christ crucified. He was a steward of the mysteries of God. And he was not a man who made up his own mysteries. He didn't come and bring new revelation. He didn't come and bring about his own mind. He was a steward solely to the mysteries of God. And so, friends, a real pastor is a servant of Christ, a steward of mysteries. And thirdly here, we see someone who is faithful, someone who is trustworthy, is that verse continues and says that he may be found trustworthy, he may be found faithful. I don't know if you've heard of the US Navy SEALs. They're an elite part of the US Army. They're special forces. They are the best of the best in, in American uh, military terms. And the Navy SEALs have got what they call six group. And the six group are the best of the Navy SEALs. So it's the best of the best of the best. And, and, and the selection process for these people who are deemed the elite, the best of the best, apparently they just draw a chart. On the one side of the chart, they have performance. And on the bottom of the chart, they have trust. Performance and trust. They don't want low performance and low trust. Those people are not suitable for that job. The ideal people for that job are high performance and high trust. They don't just want people who can perform. And the reality is, they were saying in an interview, that even though their ideal is high performance, high trust, if someone is low performance and high trust, they can make it into that elite group. Because that is the value of faithfulness. That is the value of trust. And you see, the mark of a good minister is not his performance. The mark of a minister is not his giftings or his abilities. The mark of a minister, the mark of a preacher, the mark of a pastor, as Paul is telling us here, is faithfulness. Faithfulness is the mark of a good ministry. 
faithful ministers of God, faithful stewards of the mystery of the gospel, faithful as being those who are servants, who see themselves as servant-like. Friends, if you've got a pastor that's anything less than a servant of Christ, or should I say anything more than a servant of Christ, anything less than a steward of the mysteries of God, anything less than faithful, you don't want them. This is a benchmark. This is what we should be looking for. This is what you should be praying for for your pastors. You should be praying that they will be servants of Christ, that they'll be stewards of the mystery, that they will be faithful, that they will be trustworthy in what they do. You see, when Jesus told the parable in Matthew chapter 25 about the talents, and all is said and done, and, and the results are brought in, it was well done, good, and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. It's not the performance that is the big deal. The big deal in God's economy is faithfulness. And just as God demands that of pastors and preachers and teachers, that's a mark of all God's children. The thing that we should all be striving for is faithfulness. Then as this passage moves on and we're looking at the whole chapter, so we're going through it quite quickly, we we see secondly... And we're going to come back to, to, to the, that first heading. We're going to come back to real pastors. There's some more explanation. But we have a little interlude and we have bad sheep are. Sheep being the flock. Sheep being the church. Sheep being the church at Corinth, particularly in this situation. And bad sheep, we see here, are judgmental. Judgmental. You see, Apollos... And Paul, it seems like they were under the, the judgment of the Corinthians. Paul talks about this in verse 3. He talks about being judged by them. And, and, and they were judging them by their worldly wisdom. And, and maybe they thought that Apollos should do more signs and wonders like Paul. And possibly Paul thought that they should be better at, uh, Paul should be better at speaking like Apollos. Apollos apparently was, was a better speaker. Now, Maybe they compared their results. Maybe they thought that, well, Paul had got more converts, but Apollos had actually baptized more people. And they were judgmental on the situation. And they chose in their own minds who to go with. And while we don't know the exact nature of what this judgment was, it was not a positive thing. And it's not something that we should be doing. We shouldn't be involved in the business of being judgmental. Now, discernment is different. Yeah? And I'm going to make that point clearly because we are told to discern and test and be like the Bereans and hold up uh, a sermon, hold up a teaching against God's word. But these people were not doing that. These people were, were bickering and, and, and getting stressed about the wrong sort of things. And so we shouldn't be judgmental. But these bad sheep are. And then we come back to these real pastors because real pastors, as as Paul tells us, are under God's judgment. Point D is it'll come up there, under God's judgment. You see, Paul was not concerned about 
how the Corinthians judged him. He didn't worry about that. He didn't worry about what they said. He didn't worry about what they were thinking. I'm sure there was a degree of, well, if this is a gospel message, if this is a biblical matter, you do. But it wasn't. And in fact, he was someone who examined himself. And as he examined himself, he said he wasn't aware of anything against himself. He had that clear conscience when he examined himself, and self-examination is good, but you can't hold any store by it. Because the big thing is, as he said, I'm not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. Real pastors are under God's judgment. And God is going to judge them. And this is what the Apostle Paul felt so much. He realized that as a pastor, as a preacher, as, as someone who was leading God's church, it was the Lord that would judge him. And for Paul and all pastors, we, we read there in verse 5 that it is the Lord who judges. And any judgment that we do is before time. Because it's only God who stands outside of time and knows all things. And any judgment that we do is without full knowledge. We don't know everything that goes on. You may look at the pastor, the preacher, and say he does that good, he does that bad. But you don't know what his week entails. You don't know what he's doing in private. You don't know what he's doing in other situations. And then the Corinthians didn't know what Paul was doing in the other parts of the world. There was no social media following them through, telling them what was going on. They were without full knowledge. But God has full knowledge outside of time. And, and, and Paul's ministry is still bearing fruit now. We, 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 are, we are preaching now from Paul's teaching. And in a way, Paul's fruit is carrying on. And some people who have passed away a long time ago, their, their books and their sermons and what they said carries on. So we can't judge, we don't know. And, and, and lastly, it is pointless for others to judge because only God can give the commendation. A real word of encouragement there is, is commendation. And when we thought last week of the, the different buildings going up and building with straw and, and wood and, and, and stuff that gets burned away, or the one that lasts, the gold, the silver, the precious stone, it, it links across here. And, and pastors are under God's judgment. And how that church performs and how that church grows and how they are themselves will, in a special way, be judged by God. And so pastors need to remember that. And you need to be praying for your pastors that they are upheld in faithfulness, stewards of the mysteries of God and servants of Christ. But we also see here in, in point E that a, a good pastor, a pastor needs to be able to say it as it is. Real pastors are able to say it as it is. There was a saying in England that a Yorkshireman calls a spade a spade. He doesn't dress something up. He doesn't say that it's something that it isn't. And a pastor must say the truth and not what they think will gain them favour. 
I think tragically that's where so much of things are going wrong nowadays is, is the pastor, the preacher, the man at the front is saying what he thinks will gain favour. Saying what he thinks will make a good splash on Instagram. Saying what he thinks will be a good soundbite that will carry and get likes and get influence. And the reality of the truth is a good pastor must say the truth and be faithful to the truth. And here is Paul in verse 6, and he says, I've applied all these things to myself. He's practiced what he's preached, him and Apollos. And he's done it for the benefit of the brothers. He's done it for the benefit of the church. He says that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. That none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. He didn't come up with a list of compliments to say how wonderful you are, Corinthians. He's saying, look, there's a problem here. There's a problem and it's you've gone beyond what's written. And, and, you, and you're puffed up. And you are in favor of one against another. And he will go on. And you see, the, the Apostle Paul is like this. He's like a doctor. And he's got a scalpel. And he makes an incision. He cuts it in. Something needs to be took apart. And, and he, he goes on. And we go on to hear him speaking like this. And he brings three accusations against the Corinthians. And this is him speaking plainly. This is him being able to say it as it is. So we go back to our second heading. Bad sheep are. Bad sheep are. Number two under bad sheep are. They're not following the word. He says that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. Now this is a major problem. This is a major problem of, of, of why there was division. This is a major problem of what was going wrong. You see, the Corinthians had started and were going beyond the word of God. What is written there is God's word. What is written there is what Paul has taught them from God's word. And, and if you will just go back with me a few chapters to chapter 1, and we'll see how this goes through, because that word written is really important. It brings it all together. So if you go back to uh, chapter 1, and if you look at verse 19, Paul is talking, Paul is exhorting. Paul says in 19, for it is written. And there's a quote. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. And then if you go into verse 31, it starts, and so as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's flip over to chapter 2. And chapter 2 and verse 9. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor a heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. A positive, positive there. The first two about pride. A positive, positive one there. And then chapter 3 and verse 19. If you go to the end of it, the end of that verse 19, you'll see the words, For it is written. He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. You see, Paul's authority in preaching was not his excellent education. 
Paul's authority in his preaching was not his, his eloquence or his power of speech or his presence. People think that he was quite a small man. People think that his speech wasn't that good. We don't know. But his power wasn't from these things. The power was because he proclaimed God's word. And we see it throughout this letter. As it is written, and he explains what is written. As it is written, and God's word comes forth. And you see this church at Corinth are messing up because they are going away from God's word. And they're going away from God's word in this particular direction. There's a strong message in these earlier chapters about pride. It keeps coming up. Pride is where the problem is. God's going to destroy the wisdom of the wise. Let no one boast but boast in the Lord. It's written that he catches the wise in their craftiness. And the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise and they are foolish. And you see these people were moving away from God's word and they were full of pride and they thought more of themselves than they should. So Paul goes on in that verse 6 to tell them that they were puffed up. You see, bad sheep are not following the word. And bad sheep are proud. And that pride leads to quarreling. Bad sheep are quarreling. You see, he wants them to stay within the word so that they wouldn't be puffed up. He wants them to stay in the word so that they wouldn't be puffed up because when they're puffed up, they favor one against the other and there is divisiveness and there is fighting and there is quarreling and the unity of the church is lost and God's glory and God's honor has been stolen from that church which should be united together. And this is just so relevant for us in this day and age. You see, the church is in an absolute mess around the world because it's gone beyond what is written. In fact, in some places, they've just taken God's word and thrown it out of the window. And you, and you, you go into some churches and they're marrying two men. And you go into some... I mean, it's just wretched. And then some churches are, are, are not pro-life. They're pro-choice. And abortion and euthanasia are all things that some clever person thinks they can argue from God's word. And some of them are happy to think that the, the world came out of a big bang. And God somehow caught up afterwards and came in. And they've moved away from beyond what is written. And you see, sometimes we can listen and hear that. And we can be judgmental of it. Friends, I want to be very sincere. I want you to listen very carefully. And I want you to hear this from someone who is concerned and not being judgmental. But I believe, in fact, I go as far as to say I know that there are some here today, some here with us now, who are in danger of getting into a mess. And the danger of this mess is that you are going beyond what the scriptures say. Now you may be thinking, this is prophetic. Something's happened to James. Has the Spirit spoken to him? I'm not going to claim that. 
But when I read some of your statuses, when I see some of the things that you are posting online, when I read some of the things that you are sharing and liking, they have gone beyond the scripture. They are not from God's word. There is a plethora of rubbish out there. And some of you, tragically, for whatever reason, I think it's the devil that's deluding you. You are taking hold of this and you are in danger of going beyond the scripture. And friend, listen to this carefully. If you carry on like this, we, this is a danger. It's not your danger, it's our danger. If you carry on like this, we are in real danger of disunity. That's what the Apostle Paul was getting stressed by with these Corinthians. Their individualism, they're going their own way, they're pulling in their own wisdom, they're going away from God's word, wasn't just wrecking and shipwrecking their own spiritual lives. It had potential to mess with the whole of God's church. And so friends, we need, need, need to be like the Bereans. Last week in our question time afterwards, we had this very helpful question. And the question was, how do we discern what is right and what is wrong? How do we discern? Not judge. Judging is wrong. We don't want to judge people. We need to discern. And we went to that passage where the Bereans were more fair-minded than the others. What the Bereans did is when they heard something, they looked into God's Word. And friends, I urge you, before you post something, before you like something, before you get totally sucked up into listening to someone who's got great energy and great excitement, check it against God's Word. Check it against God's Word. And if it's not in God's Word, if it's not consistent with God's Word, throw it out. Because you're going beyond God's Word. And yes, this person may seem fantastic and interesting and exciting, and there may be everything you think I should be. Everything that Pastor Andrew, anyone who's preaching here should be. And you may be a bit disappointed in us because we're not like that. I don't care. What I care about is, is it in God's Word? And friends, you need to get God's Word out and check it out against this stuff. Because these people here, when they carried on in their pride and in their ignorance, they were in danger of wrecking the church. And the Apostle Paul was upset. And you see, back to our first heading, real pastors are, and it goes back to what we said before, able to say it as it is. The Apostle Paul was saying that because he cared for his flock. And I was thinking, should I say this? Should I not say this? And I have to say it. I have to say it because it is here in God's word. You see, the the, the Apostle Paul goes on in this verse 7 as a real pastor and he's able to say it as he is and he uses cutting irony. He, He says to them, for who sees anything different in you? I mean, he's basically saying to these people, wake up, Corinth. Who do you think you are? Who are you? These people had the ego the size of a premiership football player. We see these prima donnas there in, in where's the World Cup happening now? Qatar, Qatar, yeah. Waltzing around. Huge egos. And these egos come into the church and these egos were in Corinth. 
And these people were, were going around thinking that they knew everything. Thinking that the Apostle Paul who'd seen Christ himself was nothing. And they barely got out of bed spiritually, couldn't even eat real meat, were telling the Apostle Paul what was what. And the Apostle Paul says, come on, who sees things differently from you? What do you have that you did not receive? Wake up, smell the coffee, see where you're going wrong here. This is like the precision of a laser-guided missile right to the heart of their pride. And it's the same for us. What did you have that you did not receive? We came into the world naked, didn't we? Everything we have, we've received. Everything is owned by God, as we saw in the previous chapter. And even if you are frightfully smart, and some of you guys are smart here, you are clever, you've been gifted it. Didn't make that happen yourselves. It was a gift. You received it. And even if you're really rich, even if you're really handsome or beautiful or whatever the accolade is, it's been given to you. And maybe you're feeling left out. Maybe you don't think you're beautiful or handsome. Maybe you don't think you're rich. Maybe you don't think you're smart. But the very breath that you have now has been given to you. We've all been given stuff. And there's no room for us for any pride. And that's what he's saying. These Corinthians are saying, you, you, your pride is just stupidity. Because who are you? Wake up. If you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? He's saying to these Corinthians, look, you are not God. You are playing around as though you are God. You're playing as around as though you brought it all in yourself and you didn't. And we need to apply this to ourselves. Because pride stinks. And pride wrecks churches. And pride wrecks Christian lives. And we have to just bring ourselves back to this verse and say, what did you have that you did not receive? In some ways, these motivational speakers say, when you get up in the morning, look in the mirror and say, I am strong. I am wise. Yeah. I will have a good day. Maybe we should look up in the mirror and look at square in the say, what do I have that I did not receive? And then count your blessings and thank God for who he is and what he's done. And extol God and bring ourselves down to where we should be. See, the Apostle Paul didn't stop there. He was on a roll. If he was in an African church, they'd be saying, preach it, pastor. Yeah? He'd be going for it. He'd be on fire, as you say. Yeah? And then he carries on. And, 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 and I love this phrase. He was using inspired sarcasm. If you think sarcasm is wrong and sinful, when it's used correctly, it is beautiful and it's a great tool. And this is what the Apostle Paul is doing here. And our third point, our big heading is, real pastors and bad sheep contra contrasted. You see, Paul using inspired sarcasm points home some home truths to the Corinthians. You see, he, he's told them that they've got nothing. That everything they have has been given to them. And the only reason he can be like this is because of the example he has. And so as, he, as he's speaking to this church, he turns around to it and says, you've got everything you want. What do you need me? Why do you need Paul's? Why do you need preachers? You've got everything you want. And remember, this is the church that just a few chapters ago, he said to them, you're not growing because you're not drinking, you're not eating meat, you're still on baby food because you're full of this wretched sin that's getting in the way. And there they are, we've made it. We haven't been poor anymore. 
they made it. They think they're rich. They, they think they're kings. And sarcastically, Paul says to them, well, I wish you were kings. Because if you were kings, we could come along and serve with you in your court. The Apostle Paul is saying, I can serve you in your court. You get the picture language here. And then, and then in contrast, it carries on. And it talks about the, the apostles coming last and being killed. And, and, and this, this is to do with kings and, and rulers in those days. When a king and a ruler conquered a city, they would march in, they would march through, they'd come back to their home city, and there'd be a big parade. And, and the army would go through from the least to the greatest. At the back, there would be the big generals, and they'll be in their chariots. And then strung up behind the chariots would be the people who they'd conquered. And right behind those chariots would be the big leaders of the city they just conquered. Chained, laughed at, a spectacle. And everyone who was lining that route would know that those people chained up at the back were going to their death. And the Apostle Paul was saying to you, you Corinthians, you're like those great leaders and you're thinking so much of yourself and you're making us like those that are going behind. And the Apostle Paul prophetically was pointing forward to the other death that he would go to. He says, the Corinthians, you're wise in Christ. And Apollos and Paul are fools for Christ's sake. The Corinthians are strong. Paul and Apollos are weak. The Corinthians are held in honour. Paul and Apollos are held in disrepute. Do you get the sarcasm? Do you see what Paul is saying? Can you imagine being in that congregation, hearing that letter being read? And it carries on. To this present hour, we hunger and thirst. We're poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labour working with our own hands. When we're reviled, we're blessed. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and still are like the scum of the world. The refuse of all things. One of the commentators was talking about that word scum. And he was liking it to this. You, you know, in the summertime, we walk around in Cyprus in our flip-flops or our slippers or our sandals, yeah? You're, you're all familiar with that. The black stuff that's under your feet. That is what the scum is. Can you get much lower than that? that that's what the Apostle Paul says. We are become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. There are the Corinthians saying, we've made it. And there is the Apostle Paul saying, this is what I'm like. You see, the pride of Corinth is taking it all over, and they've lost sight of reality. And their worldly wisdom despises the teaching and the preaching of Paul and Apollos. And they feel that they are the real thing. But the real thing is this. Faithful servants of God. Stewarding the mysteries of God faithfully. But that wasn't good enough for the Corinthians. 
The Corinthians wanted more. Their, their pride was a horrendous thing. And their pride got in the way. And their pride thought they were something. And because their pride thought they were something, they wanted more. And they were looking for worldly wisdom to provide it. And that happens today, doesn't it? It happens. And we must war against pride. It's horrendous. When we say we know better than God, when we say we know better than his word, when we go off and do our own things, this is fueled by pride, and the pride is the pride that was there in the very beginning that the devil tempted Adam and Eve with. Be like God's pride. Pride wrecks individuals, and it destroys churches. And we must, must war against it. But as I read that passage of satire and irony and sarcasm, I thought we need to have a reality check. In the 21st, 22nd century, we need to have a reality check. Because there are people who call themselves apostles now. There are men who, and women who think that they are great people of God. I just want to ask this question. Have they eaten? These great evangelists and prophets and people you see shouting and bellowing on YouTube, they all look well fed to me. They all look like they've been feeding well off their congregations. Are they poorly dressed? But have you seen a poorly dressed one of these people? What sort of cars and cavalcade of cars do they turn up with? And do they not have a home? How many of these people have huge homes in Abuja while their congregations are living in shacks that are barely holding the water out? Are these truly apostles? And what happens when they feel that they're being reviled or slandered? Do they go and bless? Do they entreat? Do they endure? No, they don't. You see them, don't you? You see them casting curses on people. I had heard one, I'm not going to say it actually, it's so vulgar. They come out with curses. The exact opposite of what the Apostle Paul was. The Apostle, the benchmark of apostleship. And these people are the exact opposite of it. You know, tragically, people possibly even in this building and certain on this island are worshipping these people. And these people have thrown God's word out, but they haven't. They've took little bits that they like. The Corinthians were putting an emphasis on material things. They were rich. On earthly things. Wisdom. And to them that was spiritual success. And it is not. Spiritual success is faithfulness to God despite what's going on around you. And praise God if he blesses you with intellect and wisdom. And praise God if he blesses you with money and wealth. But that is not your right and that is not a mark of spiritual success. And these so-called false prophets of this day, and these so-called apostles, what do they promote? They promote success. They promote your best day today. They've forgotten we're going to heaven. They've gone beyond what is written. They've gone beyond what they've written with their unbiblical 
proclamations and revelations. And praise God if it's in God's word. And praise God if that's what's happening. If that's what's happening, I praise God. But friends, if it's not, we need to be like the Bereans and see it and flee from it. I'm judging not the man or the woman. I'm judging the message against God's word. I want to be clear on that. I want you to be clear on that. That's what we're judging. That's what needs to be judged. Not the style, not the sort of church they come from, but is what they are saying from God's word. Because if it goes beyond what is written, it is wrong and it is not God's word and it will not be an eternal blessing. Sometimes I wonder how Paul would have used the internet if he was here now. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul and the internet? I can't. I've tried. But, but as I study this chapter, yeah, I don't think the Apostle Paul would have broken the internet. I think the internet would have broken the Apostle Paul. He'd have had an overload of grieving. He'd have seen all this rubbish and all this stuff that's beyond what is written. And he would look at example of example of ignorant Christian who's gone beyond what is written, proudly promoting themselves and worldly wisdom on the net. I think it would have broken the apostle. If it didn't break him, I can't imagine what letter he'd have written to the believers that were caught up in social media. You see, Paul's whole example and how he was living his life, he said, I applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. Why? That you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. And that's a big message for this morning for us. Friends, don't go beyond what is written. We have it all in God's word. He's blessed us with it all. This is where it is. You see, real pastors are F, ready to warn. The Apostle Paul was ready to warn. He didn't write these things to make you ashamed. But he's going to tell them off, yeah? You shouldn't be ashamed of being told off. If you need a telling off, you need a telling off. Don't be ashamed, but take the telling off. He's admonishing, but he's admonishing his beloved children. He's not saying you're not Christians. You are Christians. You're Christians, you're my beloved children. And though you've had all these guys, guys you've only had one father, I became your father in the gospel in Christ Jesus. And he's saying to them, look, listen. There's a warning. And then he goes on and, and we see here that a real pastor is ready to exhort. And he urges them, he urges them, he says, please listen, be imitators of me. You might think, that's arrogant Paul. No, no, no. Why? He carries on. That's why I sent Timothy to you, my beloved faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. Be imitators of me, be imitators of Christ. That's what I teach everywhere in the church. It doesn't single out just for you. 
This is for everywhere. This is for us here at LPC right now. We're being exhorted to be imitators of Christ, to walk in his ways. There's a true pastor. There's a real pastor. He was ready to rebuke. He turns around in verse 18 and looks at them and says, some of you are arrogant. He's talking about pride and still their pride is to get arrogant. And it's though I'm not coming to you. Paul knew that when he came to them, he was going to give them a slippery, metaphorical beating, yes? He was going to look these people in the eye and say, this is where you're going wrong. And they were acting as though Paul wasn't coming. He says, but I will be with you soon if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. You see, talk is cheap, and talk is nothing, and talk isn't what the gospel is about. The kingdom of God doesn't consist of talk, but it consists of power, and the power is the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he's saying, are these people truly spirit-filled? And this is a real statement, because later on these people are saying, we are spirit-filled, we do all these gifts, we do all these amazing things. And Paul is saying, look, let's get right back. What is it all about? Your talk isn't what it's about. Are you truly filled with the Spirit? Where is your power? Your power is not in what you say. The power is in what you do through the Holy Spirit. And he leaves them with a choice. In verse 22, he comes to the end of this section. You can almost hear him breathing a sigh of relief and just turning over and saying, well, what do you wish? Big application. What do you wish? And the wish is the consequence, yes? Shall I come with a rod? Or with love in the spirit of gentleness? You say, look, Corinthians, if you carry on like this, the next time I see you, there will be trouble. There'll be trouble. There'll be trouble because God's glory is at stake. There'll be trouble because you're going against God's word. There'll be trouble because you need to hear this. Or when I next come, Will I see something special? Will I see a repentance? Will I see a humble church? Will I see people that have been broken and brought back? Will I see people that are living by God's word and not going beyond it? As we come to the end of this section, Paul leaves us with the same choice. As we go into this next week, we go, as we go into the rest of our life, as God spares us, how are we going to go? Are we going to go outside of God through the other world? Adding to the scriptures, doing our own thing in pride and arrogance? Or are we with God's help, with the enabling of the Holy Spirit, are we going to live within the Word? Are we going to, with the help of the Holy Spirit, put pride to death are we with God's help and the outworking of the Holy Spirit going to work on love and unity between ourselves friends what are you going to do what are you going to do as you leave here this morning I just want you to pray that question into your hearts and lives like that thank you